<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I do have a dynamic and complicated relationship with the, the concept of home. I think because I come from three cultures that are so different from each other, I've never actually felt completely at home in one place. Welcome to Being Home with Hunker, a podcast where we explore the idea of home, not just as a place where you live, but as an expression of your identity. I'm your host, Lori Gunning-Grossman, Editorial Director at Hunker. Today on the show, we have Alexandra Dorda, founder of Casa Rum. Alexandra shares how, as a person raised in three different cultures on three different continents, being home is a fluid concept. For her, it's not about a place, it's feeling at home with yourself. She talks about how she travels a lot because of her work, but as she says, she can't stay still. She needs to be on the move to feel comfortable and happy. And while she doesn't have that one place she feels she can call her own, she does feel like she could live almost anywhere in the world. She's been to around 70 countries. Kasama, the name of her rum, means together or companion in Filipino. Alexandra wanted to build a brand around and pay homage to the Philippines, her mother's country, so she could celebrate what's special about this place. She also talks about Poland, her father's country, and how it's a part of her rum as well, because that's where it's distilled. And we talk about her family in Poland and the impact of the war in neighboring Ukraine. She was in Poland when the war broke out. She shares how this has changed her relationship to both her home and her physical belongings, and how this sobering situation makes you reevaluate what matters in your life. So let's welcome our guest, Alexander Dorda. Where are you right now? I'm currently in New York. Okay. Is this where you're living now? No. <laughs> no. I'm really, I'm a, I'm a person on the move. So I spend a lot of time in the U.S., but in different parts of the country. And then also I'm very often in Europe. So I'm, I'm very much on the go. I'm here for this week. So you're constantly on the go? It feels that way. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely feels that way. I, I split my time, you know, part of my life is in uh, Europe, mostly in Poland, although What's great about Europe is that you can travel around so much and so easily. And then my business is mostly here in the U.S. for right now, but 
sort of spread out across 35 different states. So I'm a moving target for sure. Oh my gosh. You must have packing down pack. Like your (laughs) luggage, you must just know what to bring when you got to go. You know what? I should be better at it. I'm a good packer. I'm I'm very like skilled at fitting it all in, but I think I'm also a person who loves to have options. And so that's what I struggle with is like, I'm like, well, what if I feel this way? So let me bring something extra. (laughs) So I'm not the person who's like, everything is in a carry-on. I wish I was. I'm working towards that. So you have launched a small batch rum, Kasama. Kasama. It's a small batch rum from the Philippines, which is where my mother comes from. And the name Kasama means together or companion in Filipino. So it really speaks to sort of the joy of coming together and sharing good times with good company. And was this a name that you chose because it's a big part of your family, of how you grew up together? So the brand is all about celebrating the Philippines, which is actually one of the largest rum-producing countries in the world, which a lot of people don't know. And we have a very celebratory culture. Um, And Filipinos will find any reason to have a party. They're very warm. They're very social. Mm -hmm. And literally, like, any occasion will become a party. And always around food and drink. We love to to eat and and drink. And so I felt that the name really spoke to that that ethos. And so that's why, why I chose it. I love it. So your mom is from the Philippines, and then your dad is from Poland. Correct. And I read he is also the co-founder of Belvedere and Chopin Vodkas. That's right. He is. So he is from a small town in southern Poland. Um, and in the early 90s, he worked with um, a business partner to bring basically premium Polish vodka to the world. And they really created this super premium vodka category. For him, it was really about bringing inherently Polish spirit to the world and and making sure that people know that Polish vodka is synonymous with quality. And so we're no longer involved with Belvedere, but we still own Chopin 100%. We distill it all at our family-owned distillery in eastern Poland. We even farm some of our ingredients. And he started that business when I was two years old. So I was very immersed in my family business from a young age and grew up going to our distillery and grew up witnessing my parents developing brands. And so launching Kasama for me was very, very natural. And it feels like my whole life came together to create this. The rum is distilled in the Philippines, but then it's actually bottled at our family's distillery in eastern Poland. So you're growing up going to Poland quite often. Like, would you spend summers there? How did you do that? How did you balance that with school (laughs) and growing up? Yeah, so we moved back and forth quite a bit. So I lived in Poland when I was one years old for a year, but then primarily grew up when I was quite young in Southern California. And then we actually moved with my family to Poland when I was 12, So I did middle school and high school in Poland and then moved back to the United States for college. So people always think that I was, you know, born in Poland and then came to the U.S. And actually, it's the other way. You know, most people don't immigrate to Poland, um, especially from California. But and then a lot of back and forth moving in between that and a lot of traveling. It was really important to my parents to travel and they really emphasized broadening horizons. And so I think at this point that I've been to... I would need to count, I think, around 70 countries. Whoa. So it, it was a very, very international upbringing that I was very lucky to have. Yeah, that is so cool. What was it like being in Poland during those years, during those formative years of middle school and high school? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I went to an international school, 
And so I was surrounded by people from all over the world. I think we had over 50 nationalities represented at our school. And it was so interesting to speak about world events and have oftentimes someone in the classroom who was from that country and could sort of give a local perspective. And, you know, Model UN Day was very important to us. And everybody, you know, people of different nationalities would set up booths and sort of share the local food from their country. And we would travel around to other international schools in the region. So we were traveling all across Europe. It was very interesting, and I absolutely loved it. And then did you spend time in the Philippines as well? I did, but more so in recent years, actually, because my mother, Mm. she started to think about, she's an entrepreneur as well. She had a very successful business for 25 years. And I think in the last few years, she started to think more about retiring and where she wants to be. We bought a place in Manila a few years ago, and we really started to go, I'd say, in the last 10 years and spend a lot more time there. Mm. And it's so near and dear to my heart. I absolutely love the Philippines. It's my happy place. I just think it's such a wonderful, such a joyful place. So for me, I was very excited to build a brand all around that and to sort of tell the story of the Philippines, because I think that as a country, we have so much to offer, but haven't always been good at telling other people about the Philippines and, you know, why they should visit or, you know, what is special about our country. So for me to bring Kasama to the world is really to pay homage to the Philippines and the amazing people and and country that we have. Yeah, you're telling, partly telling the story of the Philippines through your rum. Very much so, yes. Yeah. So as a person who has spent time in different locations, I'm sure that you have been witness to different ways that people set up their homes, the different ways people live. (laughs) Talk to me a little bit about that, like the differences you've seen and then what you resonate with, like what you are now taking forward as you're creating your own home as an adult. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think what's interesting about growing up literally on three continents is you get to sort of pick and choose what you love about each place. Like I said before, Filipinos are so inviting They're always welcoming you into their home. They're always sharing what they have, how little it may be with other people, which I I think is very special. Something I think is a funny quirk about Polish homes. You know, this is a little tiny thing, but I think it's really interesting. In Polish homes, you always take your shoes off when you go inside. Mm -hmm. And it's really about cleanliness and sort of making sure to keep the outside outside. Yeah. And how is that having an impact on what you're bringing into your home now? It's a great question. It's hard to distill down into one thing, but I think certainly in terms of my home, I try to bring different elements into it. Like I've collected art from all over the world. In my living room, I have these two huge diptychs from a Polish artist that I commissioned them from and um, worked very closely with to sort of create the look and feel. But I also have little Asian quirks that come from my mom. So all of our houses have like a little elephant by the front door and it has to have the trunk up Mm. and it's a superstition that it's good luck and that it helps to bring money into your home if the trunk is up so little things like that that's very cool is the elephant inside or outside when you walk in the door do you see it the elephant is inside yeah yes it's right by the front door facing the front door i only have one elephant but my mother has a collection of elephants presumably the more elephants you have the more luck you have i don't know so maybe i should get a few more to add to the collection yeah do you believe in feng shui or adding elements in addition to the elephant other elements around your space So I do believe in feng shui, although I know it's quite specific and I don't know all the specificities of how you're supposed to organize things to follow the rules of feng shui. But I do believe in places having 
energies and feelings. Mm. And so when I was looking at my apartment, I was actually considering two apartments that were extraordinarily similar in the same building on different floors. And one of them, I was like, this one just doesn't have the right feeling. So I, I chose the other one. And I think I am a person who's very sensitive to my environment. It's very important to me. I can live in a shoebox, but as long as it has a lot of natural sunlight, I'm happy. So that's something that I really look for in terms of the feelings of a home. And I think light specifically gives me such good feelings. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, as you're moving around so much, I'm assuming because of your work, that's what's keeping you traveling so much right now? Yes. Well, it is because of my work. That's one thing. When I'm traveling around the U.S., it's definitely about my work. But also for me, I actually can't stay still. I don't feel good in one place all the time. You know, for example, at the beginning of the pandemic, there were, you know, four months where we were very, very locked down. And I really struggled with that for many reasons that many people struggled. But I also just had a really hard time being in one place because I've never done that before. So it is for work, but also just personally, I need to move to actually feel comfortable and happy. Does this relate to what I heard that you have a dynamic and complicated relationship with the idea of home? Is this part of it for you? You just need to be on the go? I do have a dynamic and and complicated relationship (laughs) with the, the concept of home. I think because I come from three cultures that are so different from each other, I've never actually felt completely at home in one place. So when I was, you know, going to elementary school in Los Angeles, there were things about it that I loved, but I also knew I didn't feel totally at home there. Mm. And then when I go to Poland, I'm the American girl or perhaps the Filipino girl. But then when I'm in the United States, I'm the Polish girl or the Filipino girl. And it's a double-edged sword for sure, because I don't have that one place that I think is mine. But also as an upside, I really think of the whole world as my oyster. And to me, I could live almost anywhere. You can plop me down in most places and I'll feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't have one place that really feels mine. Yeah. So as you move around and travel around, is there anything that you bring with you or hold on to that is a grounding force for you that feels like you're bringing a piece of home or you have something that reminds you wherever you go, you're home? I think almost wherever I go, I'm home. Certainly it's It's always about people and the relationships. And I'm lucky to have friends all over the world that help me to feel at home in multiple places. Mm. But if you're asking me about an object, I don't think so. I don't think that there is one thing that makes me feel that way. Yeah. I always have my passports with me just in case. Yeah, yeah. But (laughs) but just, you know, you never know what might happen, but not to be too somber. But this is something that's been very, very top of mind recently because I spend a good Mm -hmm. portion of my time in Poland and I was there when the war broke out in neighboring Ukraine. Mm -hmm. You know, 10 million Ukrainians have had to flee their homes. More than 2 million have come to Poland. And there's a very real fear that it could spread to our country. And we've actually had conversations amongst our family. What would we do? What happens? What do we do if the war comes to Poland? And you realize literally none of your objects matter, Mm. right? Right. Nothing matters. Everything that's physical is replaceable. We think that there are these things that we hold dear, like, you know, maybe our clothes or our jewelry or our electronics, even our physical home. Mm -hmm. And you realize that when put in a really difficult situation, None of that really matters. All that matters is, you know, yourself and your safety and, and your loved ones. And so I think it's been very sobering and has sort of changed my relationship to both my home and my 
physical belongings. Mm. You have family in Poland right now? I do, yes. Yeah. And how's everyone, how is that for everyone there that you know? How are they handling what's going on? You know, Poland has really risen to the challenge of absorbing and trying to support the two million people who have come to our country. Mm. I think what's happening now feels like history repeating itself and it feels very close to home. And so we're really trying to do our best to support the people who've had to flee their homes in, in search of safety. And so every single person that I know has is doing something, whether they're raising money or I know lots of people who have taken refugees into their homes, which is, you know, for the long term, which is an incredible commitment. Mm -hmm. And then I think emotionally we deal with it in different ways. Some people worry a lot about the war spreading and that's a real fear as well. And some people think it won't. And like I said, it's a very sobering situation that really makes you reevaluate what matters in your life. Yeah. Yeah, that, and that's also making me think about how I read that you and your mom have started a foundation in the Philippines where you are supporting orphaned children. That's correct, yes. So um, we have been doing this for a long time, for about 20 years personally, mm. but we have started the Kasama Community Foundation to sort of channel our charitable elements into but the story behind that is that there's a, an orphanage in the Philippines called Hospicio de San Jose. It's right in the middle of Manila on a little island. And it's actually very personal to my family because my mother and her siblings actually lived there for a time as children. They were not orphans, but they lived there as boarders for about a year when they were quite young. And so my mother can, says she has memories of being three years old and sort of the sounds and the smell of this new place that she was living and so we've worked with them for, like I said, about 20 years, sponsoring the education of children. Not all of them are orphans. Most of them are orphans, and some of them are just very disadvantaged children. And we um, support them through their education, so sending them to private schools or to universities. And also, we spend a lot of time there, actually, when we're in the Philippines. We like to take them to the beach or to a theme park, you know, something fun that they don't ordinarily get to do. Mm. And it's a place that's very, very special to us. And, and they do such amazing work there. And yeah, we're very proud to be involved with them and, and be able to help out in, in some very small way. Oh, I love this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, 
propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. So these values of helping people, I know you said your parents had this as part of their businesses. Is this part of the underlying ethos of your company? I do think so. I think that entrepreneurship sometimes gets, you know, a bad rap for being very much about like profit and, you know, profit at all costs. And I think that with both of our businesses, we've seen how business can actually really help people. So whether that's through providing employment or opportunities for people, you know, providing jobs that people find fulfilling, I think is really, really valuable. Mm. In Poland, our distillery is in a village of 200 people. It's a farming community. Mm. And so indirectly, we help to support a lot of the people in this village because we buy ingredients from them. And then I think you can see the many ways in which businesses can help charities. So for example, something else we have coming up at Kasama is in May, we're releasing a special edition bottle together with a Filipino designer. I can't say who it is yet, Okay, <laughs> but the proceeds of which will be going to a charity in the Philippines that helps people who are victims of modern day slavery, which is unfortunately a problem in the Philippines that's sort of driven by poverty. And so I think Yes, it's very important when you have the opportunity to help other people, especially in a country like the Philippines, where there is both so much need, but also so much potential. We do feel like it's very important to give back. My mother, for example, she mentors students at her former high school on Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship and sort of, you know, career counseling and what visions they might have for themselves. She came from very humble beginnings. And her main message is like, you can dream big and you can achieve a lot. So it's also a fluid concept, but we do try to weave those things both into our personal lives and into our businesses. Yeah. What was your mom's business? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It's very unexpected. She imported from Poland handcrafted church goods and then sold them to the United States. So both Poland and the Philippines are very Catholic countries. That's where that came from. And in Poland, we have incredible craftsmen, both like metal workers and also, you know, embroidery. And she started this business out of the trunk of her car when I was a child. She wanted to, um, sorry, I always get, I sort of tear up when I tell the story. She our family was sort of having a hard time financially at the time, and she really wanted to send me to a private school. And she founded this business out of the trunk of her car to pay for my private school tuition. Oh. And she kept it going for about 25 years. And yeah, it was another way of sort of sharing. I guess I, I haven't thought about this before. It was a way of her sharing her culture and her religion, but also tying it to Poland, which is a, a country that she adopted. And then she ran the business in, in the United States, which was her third country. So in some ways, it was also very deeply personal to her in a way that Kasama is as well. I hadn't connected those dots before. Yeah, that's so cool. Did your mom meet your dad in Poland? No, they met in London. He was studying there at the time, and then she was there on vacation. They sort of met through mutual friends. And they both have the entrepreneurial spirit. They do. They really do. It's a long tradition in our family. So my mother's mother, actually, she was an entrepreneur as well. She owned 
bars and clubs in Manila in the 1940s and 50s, which I think is so cool. She had these sort of pool clubs. So it was like there was a a pool and then there was like a bar and a restaurant around it. And it was a place for people to come and hang out. And she was very successful, actually. She was a very cool lady. She ended up passing away, unfortunately, when my mother was quite young. Mm. And then my father, he's also an entrepreneur, although he grew up in communist Poland. So there wasn't a tradition of entrepreneurship there because there wasn't a lot of private enterprise. Mm. But I think both of them have just always been very interested in charting their own path and sort of pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. And they've had many, many careers before they they settled on alcohol and <laughs> religious goods. So. <Yeah. laughs> but it's definitely a spirit that's inside of them and that they really transferred to me. I always knew I wanted to start a business. Oh, did you have businesses when you were young? I had so many businesses when I was young. Um, I sold oranges. We had this orange tree in our backyard. So I would pick oranges for my Mm. friends and sell them on the street. As it got a little bit older, as we would travel, I would buy different things in different countries, like jewelry or like little accessories. And I would sell them to my classmates. Very smart. I had a business in college as well. I had so many businesses. I think entrepreneurship, it's its something that's inside of you in many ways. And if you are an entrepreneur, you feel the deep need to express yourself in that way. And, you know, we're constantly coming up with new ideas. So yes, Kasama is maybe my fourth business, but definitely the most successful one so far. That's so cool. I'm assuming then that you are just built with that personality of feeling like you can just try things and go for things, perhaps without worrying too much about failure, or is that there too, but you just go for it? Oh, no, I definitely worry. Yeah. I definitely worry about failure. For sure, I think you invest so much into it, and in some ways it feels like it's your personality, Mm -hmm. and so the fear of, you know, does anybody else in the world want this thing that I've invented in my mind? That's very real to me. Yeah. You know, I've had many ideas for businesses along the way that I didn't launch maybe out of fear or I wasn't ready or I didn't think that they were good enough. But with Kasama, it really did feel different to me, both because I saw a gap in the rum market mm-hmm. and then also felt very excited about this idea and this brand I had come up with about the Philippines and sharing that lifestyle with people. So I think in this case, the two came together in a way that I felt quite confident about. And I thought it really had a lot of of appeal. But certainly the fear of failure is with me continuously, I would say. So, yeah. um, but I do, I'm happy to be in a family where I feel very supported in this endeavor. And my parents are so different. I go to them for very different advice. So my dad is like a big ideas person. He's a big thinker. He's really, he's very creative. I go to him when I say, I have a question that has no right answer. Can you help me? And we sort of talk it out. Whereas my mother is very practical she's very execution oriented. So I go to her with the very practical questions. And so it's actually really wonderful to have that in the family with two very seasoned entrepreneurs who can give me a lot of good guidance. Yes. How lucky. How lucky that is. I feel very lucky too. Now, the Philippines. I've never been to the Philippines. Is this a place that you You should go recommend people going? Yes. Oh my gosh. The tourism board of the Philippines should hire me because I will talk to every single person about how they need to go there. It is so amazing. It was a Spanish colony for 333 years, and then it was actually colonized by the United States, which I think a lot of even Americans don't know. Mm. And then it has a lot of Chinese influence as well as our indigenous culture. So when people go there, they think it's so interesting. They say, on the one hand, it feels very familiar. It has a lot of those American elements. For example, we love basketball and baseball, sort of these very Mm. American 
sports, but we also have a lot of Spanish influence. You know, there's a lot of food, for example, that comes from, from Spain originally and was sort of updated to be Filipino. But it's really beautiful, the, the friendliest people you will ever meet. There's a lot of history and truly the most beautiful beaches in the world, which if you don't believe me, you can ask Condé Nast Traveler because it was recently voted on Condé Nast Traveler, you know, best beach in the world. Oh, cool. So hopefully as travel starts to come back, I recommend that anyone and everyone go to the Philippines. It's fantastic. Yeah. Add to the list, everyone. Being that you are a person from a family of spirits, shall we say, do people ever come to you and say, I want to set up a home bar? What do you suggest? Is your family really into, like, the essentials of the home bar? People don't ask me that. They, they say, like, I want a cocktail. What do you recommend? Or oh. I, I have some friends recently who are trying to get into martinis, for example. And they'll say, like, well, how do you take your martini? Mm-hmm. I have a very specific yeah. martini order. What is it? So my martini order, yeah. it's changed recently. Okay. It's based on Chopin potato vodka, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which has a very creamy, sort of earthy mouthfeel. It's very full-bodied, which makes it the perfect standalone vodka. I used to take it as a slightly dirty martini, but now I've gotten into a slightly wetter martini, meaning there's a little bit of more vermouth in there. Mm. I like it shaken very hard. Mm-hmm. So there's sort of those ice chips floating on the top, and I like to take my martinis now with a twist. Ooh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, I fully, I don't know how I, I don't know what happened, but I went fully from dirty vodka martini girl with an olive to wetter with a twist. But yeah. I think it's it changes. It changes with our mood, with the climate, with what we're eating. You know, I think it, it really depends on, on the environment. Yeah. So your friends then come to you asking for cocktail recipes. And then do you always have one at the ready? Like you just have it in your brain? Yeah. Well, I think it depends. I always like to ask people what their drink of choice is, because mm-hmm. what I like to recommend depends on that. So what is your drink of choice? I'm curious. What is my drink of choice? I would say I do love a martini and I do love a margarita as long as it's made with really nice quality ingredients. Yeah. So for you, I would recommend, I mean, I think we have, for example, with Chopin, we have a wheat vodka, which is very, very light. Mm -hmm. And it plays really well in sort of those light citrusy cocktails, similar to a margarita. Mm. Mm. Um, And then with Kasama, I like to say, I like a twist on a classic daiquiri. So a classic daiquiri is made with rum, lime juice, and simple syrup. And I like to make a little Filipino twist on that and to use calamansi, which is a Filipino lime. Instead of a regular lime, it has a bit more of a tangy, less bitter flavor profile. So it really depends. You know, when someone tells me that they love bourbon, I'll recommend a spicy rye vodka cocktail. But if somebody likes something sour, I'll recommend something different instead. So it it really depends on the person. And I try to sort of give a, a recommendation that I think that they'll enjoy. Now, where is this lime that you mentioned? Where can people get that lime? The calamansi, it really depends. It's um, yeah. So calamansi, they're indigenous to the Philippines. They're tiny limes. They're like maybe the size of a large grape. Oh. So if you want to make a calamansi daiquiri, you have to be very committed because you have to squeeze many of them to get enough juice. But <laughs> oh, depends where, yeah. where you are. For example, in, in California, there's a large Filipino population. You can sort of get them at Asian or Filipino markets and things like that. Hmm. But in other parts of the country, they're more difficult to find. In Poland, for example, no way. They don't exist there. So I have to settle for a classic daiquiri there. Yeah. So as you have been working on your business, on your rum, what's bringing you joy right now? So many things are bringing me joy. 
But I would say on the day-to-day, what brings me joy is the support that I felt from the Filipino community. I have a friend who is not Filipino, but grew up with many Filipino friends. And he said it the best. He was like, you guys really show up for each other. And it's so true. I get such supportive messages from the Filipino community, but also a lot of very practical business help. You know, I recently had somebody message me and she was like, I, I love Kasama. We've never met before. She goes, I, I love Kasama. It's my rum of choice now. And my friend has a bar in Brooklyn and I'm going to connect you because they definitely need, should carry it. The brands really match each other. And to get that very often from people that you don't know or to have people write you and say, wow, I love that you're representing our culture in this modern way. It's really so amazing. And it keeps me going in the moments where you know, it's a lonely process. I mostly work by myself mm-hmm. on my computer and you sort of sit there and you're like, oh, does, does this matter? What am I doing? Why, why am I here? And then you get yeah. these messages and it really keeps the morale up and reminds me that this is something that matters to people. Yeah. That's, those are the two things that bring me the most joy at the moment. I love it. So do you have any routines or rituals that you do every day that help keep you grounded even when you're traveling? So recently, I would say in the last year or so, I've started to meditate. Mm. I am not good at it yet, but I am, I, I'm really, really trying. And so I think on the best days when I really want to try to feel you know, grounded and start the day off right, I try to meditate first. First of all, not look at my phone, which is difficult for me. I usually grab my phone first thing in the morning and start scrolling through emails and the news, which is not the thing that we're supposed to do. Yeah. So I try to not look at my phone, do a meditation, exercise a bit. Like today I did 30 minutes just in my hotel room, still not looking at my phone. Yeah. Um, and then sort of bring other things. And I'm, I'm trying to have a few minutes to myself in the morning where I don't think about work or the news or, you know, start talking to my, you know, my family. I think that's a a way to start the day that makes me feel very centered and grounded, but it's hard to do. It's hard to carve out the time. It's hard to have the discipline of, you know, not going into that email application right away. Yeah. Um, But I did it this morning, so I'm feeling good. You're feeling good. Yeah, that is one of the things that people do say, if you can, stay off your phone at the very beginning of the day. I'm into that. I agree with that very much. So as a person who is traveling so much and you have your business and you're you are this entrepreneur moving around, big goals and dreams, I see. Being that our podcast is called Being Home with Hunker, what does being home mean to you? I think being home for me is a very fluid concept, as we've talked about. It's not a place. It's definitely being with people that I love, so my friends and my family. But also, because I travel so much and I'm often alone, I think you also have to sort of feel very at home with yourself. Mm. And to feel like you can give that to yourself, even when there aren't people around you that you're close to. It's definitely a journey, right? It's, I think we live in a world where there's so much stimuli all the time, right? You can be on social media, you can get the news, you can distract yourself in all kinds of ways. And I'm trying to learn how to just be Mm. and just be with myself more often but it's definitely the combination it's it's the friends and family that you love but then also being able to come home to yourself and feel comfortable there as well yeah i love it well you're delightful thank you so much alexandra for taking the time to talk with me today and for sharing your story thank you thank you so much it was so interesting to be on this podcast at this time because i think mm-hmm. it's such a strange time in the world especially in our part of the world and i gave a lot of thought 
it made me, you know, have to really think about, like, what is home? Yeah. I appreciate your point of view, especially about your family in Poland and what's going on there as well. And, you know, you have an interesting point of view, an interesting experience to bring into the conversation of home. So, yeah, of course. I listened to some of your other episodes. I just listened to the one yesterday with somebody at Etsy. Oh, yes. Which I thought was a particularly good one. But I just thought I was listening to some of your episodes and I was like, I just, my concept of home is not, is not the same as this. And I hope that that's okay. It's totally fine because, I mean, there's so many people in the world. Nobody has the same concept of home. You know, everyone has a different story, where they're coming from, what feels like home to them, what's important, what's not. You know, that's what's interesting to me. So every story Mm -hmm. is interesting. So I appreciate it. Thank you, Lauren. You're welcome. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. To learn more about Alexandra and Kasama, check them out on Instagram at Kasama Rum. That's Kasama with a K. Or visit Kasama's website, kasamarum.com, where you can learn more about the beverage, including some of their delicious cocktail and cookie recipes. Be sure to visit our show notes for direct links to where you can discover everything that's going on with Alexandra Dorda and Kasama. Thank you for listening to Being Home with Hunker. For more information about this episode or others, visit hunker.com forward slash podcast. And if you don't already, please follow our show. If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review and share it with your friends. It really does help. Being Home with Hunker is produced by me, Lori Gunning-Grossman. Eve Epstein is our executive producer. The podcast is recorded and mixed at Night Shift Audio. Theme music by Jonathan Grossman. Special thanks to our team at Hunker, senior designer Maury Men, and director of audience development Gina Goff. Hunker's mission is to inspire and empower you to create a space that expresses who you are, shows off your unique style, and makes your life happier and more productive. <laughs>